We're simply rewarded for solving problems. And the bigger the problems that we solve, the bigger the reward is. In my case, the problem was raising 5 million bucks worth of capital in a little bit under 12 months uh, to purchase $18 million worth of hotels. And within that, it's a lot, man. So first of all, it's not pretty, right? Welcome to the Action Academy Podcast. Stand back while I celebrate freedom. The show where we help you achieve financial independence with the mindsets, methods, and actionable steps from guests who've already earned their freedom. The flags of freedom fly. Choose to do what you want. What you want. With who you want. With who you want. When you want. When you want. With another episode today. Now, here's your host, Brian Lubin. All right. Adisha, man. Como estas? Muy bien, y vos? Muy bien, chico. Muy bien. And I'm excited to have you on here, man. This is going to be super fun. My brother from another mother, mi hermano, over here in Colombia. So you and I have been hanging out down the street from each other, but we're filming this in different apartments because it's way more practical. But uh, man, I'm excited to dive in. You're an interesting cat. You've got your pen in a bunch of different ink and you do a lot of different real estate strategies. You're a very great operator with a military background and you're able to go in and build companies multiple at a time, build real estate portfolios multiple at a time. man. Who are you? What do you do? Me llamo Adit Shah. I am an infill developer and private equity syndicator. Right now, by the glory of God, I'm 100% financially free because of my real estate. And my real estate right now consists of about $20 million worth of assets. That includes hotels, infill development deals by way of small multifamily, and now one software company. So that's who I am and what I do and what I got going on right now. Quantos años tienes? How old are you? I am 28 years old. 28 years old. All right. So it's one thing that's interesting. I love doing these podcasts because you have some of the guys come on and they're like, hey, I bought $20 million worth of real estate in the last 10, 15 years. I was rounding up for 2008 when all that happened, all that stuff. And then you've got the guys that have done it like in a very shortened time period. So it's different skill sets and different podcast episodes. And it's very interesting because I want to start with the topic of problems because you and I have addressed the topic of problems in a couple of different capacities. And a coach of mine once said that if you want millions in profit, you have to both expect, anticipate, and elegantly solve million-dollar problems. Actually, $10 million problems. So let's start there, man, because how you solve problems today is much different than how you solved problems previously. So walk us through with what can we expect when we have this meteoric growth like you have, like you did $18 million, $5 million of syndication in one year, $18 million of hospitality assets. So everyone wants to do this meteoric rise. Like they want the thing fast. What are the problems associated with that? Yeah, you absolutely nailed it, Brian. As entrepreneurs, we're simply rewarded for solving problems. And the bigger the problems that we solve, the bigger the reward is. In my case, the problem was raising 5 million bucks worth of capital in a little bit under 12 months uh, to purchase $18 million worth of hotels. And within that, it's a lot, man. So first of all, it's not pretty, right? Am I grateful for it? Yes. Would I change it? No. 
but you have things like SEC regulations, right? You have things like bookkeeping, like building the team to keep up with that meteoric growth. For example, we had $18 million worth of assets for a company that was pro- a company that probably had a million dollars worth of less worth of assets or less bookkeeping systems, right? So our bookkeeping oh. systems could not keep up with an $18 million asset portfolio. And that was a big pain point. It caused us a lot of problems. It caused us to come under scrutiny. But from that, we built the systems that's going to take us to $100 million worth of assets. Number two, we had a huge market change in the middle of my syndication journey. Utilities doubled, insurance tripled, interest rates were variable and rising. So cash flow was not as projected. Investors are not happy. So we had to learn how to pivot and bring on different revenue streams, which I mean is an advantage of hotels in a way is you do have a lot of different revenue centers to make up for that lost cash flow. Because at the end of the day, when you take on $5 million worth of equity, right? People think of equity and they think of, hey, that doesn't sit as a liability, right? Because I don't need to pay back any debt, any bank, any lender. In my head, I think of that as a liability. Every night when I go to sleep, I have the thought that I owe people $5 million worth of money plus the return that I promised. Yes, an investment is an investment at the end of the day, right? So as an investment, when you're investing equity, you're taking the risk alongside the operator or syndicator. However, as a syndicator, as an operator, me, if I tell you, Brian, you're going to get 2.36x your money in three years, I'm going to go to hell or high water to make that happen because I'm trying to play a 20-year game. So if I can't deliver to you in three years, how are you going to stick around with me for 20 years? So that's a little bit of a taste of the hurt that comes with that kind of growth, man. Yeah, I love that. And in Action Academy, like our, our main thing that we do is we help people scale faster. Everyone's hesitation at doing larger deals isn't necessarily... There's a function of, I am afraid of losing my money. But it's more so a function of, I'm afraid of losing other people's money. Especially people that are close to me. That's where the stress comes in. After doing almost a thousand hours of interviews now, it seems the two largest stressors of a business owner, especially in the real estate sphere, are meeting slash exceeding cap cap table projections when it comes to cash flow, when it comes to return on the investment for investors, and payroll. Seems like those are the two things that keep people and keep business operators and real estate operators up at night. So what's some advice looking back to you doing that initial raise I'm sure that you guys underwrote every single thing possible to be able to mitigate for as much risk as humanly expected. But then, of course, there's black swans changing market conditions. Now that you've gone through something and came out the other side, so you've got like a little bit of battle scars now, what's some advice that you can give to somebody that's potentially considering raising capital for their first deal? I would say that if you're considering going down the syndication route, right? Just so just to give you an idea, number one, why syndicate? Let's address that. Why syndicate? Because when I started real estate, right? For my first two years in real estate, I did five, six transaction. I had two six-figure exits. It was great, but I was stuck to my bubble of resources. But the moment that I introduced private equity with the trench level knowledge that I had building for years, I skyrocketed $18 million of assets in less than nine months. So that's why syndicate. If you're thinking about going down that route, number one, and this is really important, you need skin in the game. Yes or yes. Mm. 
Number one is every single general partner, right? When we're talking about general and limited partners, I'm assuming a lot of the people in the audience are familiar with that. If you're not, a general partner is the syndicator, the person putting the deal together. They don't necessarily have a requirement to contribute their own capital to the deal. Number one, a requirement for me, and I think should be for everyone else, is you as a general partner need to be a limited partner as well. You need to be in the pot with your limited partners. And here's why. The number one way to guarantee the success of your investors is to put your neck on the guillotine with them. That is yes or yes, you must be an LP, right? Some GPs take it as far as being like the majority LP. I'm not saying that you don't have to do that, right? But put in a significant amount of capital that means something to you. Hey, if I lost this, it would mean something to me. And not only will that guarantee your success. Number two, it will show your investors more than any sales pitch or any words that you really mean what you're saying. When you say, I believe in this deal, I believe it's going to bring you this return. It is because I'm putting my own money, my own family's money, whatever that may be into that deal. Number two is if you're looking to get started in syndication, right? You are most likely have never done a syndication deal, or you don't really know much about syndication. This is a very delicate subject matter because when we're talking about syndicating, what are we talking about doing? We're talking about going in front of investors, acting like we know what we're talking about. We're talking about giving them some kind of track record. Why would someone invest with you if you have no track record? I wouldn't invest with somebody that has no track record, Brian. If someone's asking me for an LP deal and they have never done a deal before, then I'm not going to invest with them. The way that you get around with that to do deal number one is align yourself with someone who has done three, four, five, six deals and returned money to investors safely. And with mm. that alignment off the back of their experience, off the back of their credibility, you can start building your credibility and experience. But you need someone on your team that has done it before, preferably a few times. So mm. I would say number one is skin in the game. A deal that you believe in enough to invest yourself. And number two is going to be align yourself with a very credible operator. I love that you say that because we've spent thousands and thousands of hours within Action Academy because this is what we do is this is a huge roadblock and it's not even a million dollar problem to solve. I more so view it as a billion dollar problem to solve is how do you get people to be able to take the leap confidently and safely, capital S, safely. And now you can never take that risk factor down to zero, but we can mitigate the hell out of it in doing exactly what you just said, which is something I want to hit on the importance of, because everyone is inundated with all these educational platforms. And guys, this is not a shill for my thing. This is just a shill for the process in and of itself. Everyone's, okay, let me go do these modules on how to underwrite. Let me go do this Zoom call on how to capital raise. Let me read this book. Let me listen to this podcast. Even this is mental masturbation to a degree, right? Our thing is, hey, I want to do, I have 10 doors. I've done 10 single family transactions. I want to do a 60 unit multifamily. I want to do a 60 unit self-storage or a 60 pad mobile home park. Cool. Who is doing that? Who has 600? I'm going to go hitch my wagon to that person that has got the 600. They've already done the capital raises. They've already had some successful repositions. They've already had some successful capital events. They've already issued preferred returns to investors. Let me hitch my wagon to this person. Allow them to be the capital partner. Let me learn the skill sets of the underwriting, the deal analysis, the LOI submission. Get the property, partner with them, take a minority equity position, and learn the thing first. Then... Next deal, 
I've got the thing done. I've done the thing. It's exactly what you're saying. And I don't understand why everyone tries to do this themselves without doing that first. Besides, is it just a lack of resources, a lack of network? What do you think? I would say it's a handful of two things. And and not, not to echo so much on what you said, Brian, but um, absolutely, man. Whatever way you want to yeah, do it. Yeah, no, you must be, you must have community, right? Whether that's Action Academy, which by the way, um, shameless plug, I've heard a lot of great things about your community, man. I know yeah, people you, in your you, community. Yeah, I need to add you. <laughs> so yeah, I would love to be a part of it. I want to, yeah. I love what you guys have going on, but imagine this, Brian. So let me give you a little bit of a story to answer your question. For me to get started in real estate, I had to go work for a developer for free, sweeping up the job site, carrying boxes, handyman for one year, free. Number two, and then two more years as a property manager and project manager to get all of the knowledge that I needed to the knowledge that I needed and the confidence that I needed because there's something that distinguishes successful entrepreneurs and unsuccessful entrepreneurs the successful ones have something that I call trench level knowledge built from being in the trenches from starting from zero but what it takes to start from zero is extremely agonizing and in the age of 15 second tiktoks 5 second reels we don't really have the attention span to take three take three years to build trench level knowledge. You don't necessarily need to. You can simply align yourself with someone that has it. And imagine this, bro. If you came to me when I was getting started and said, hey, Adit, save yourself from working for free and breaking your back for one year for this guy. Just pay me X amount of dollars per year and I'll put you in a room with hundreds of people that have trench level knowledge. Dude. It's no different. It's no difference from buying something on Amazon, right? It's like you want to drive to the store or drive across town for something that they have in stock at the Best Buy in the next town, or just order it on Amazon. It shows up tomorrow. I'd much rather mm-hmm. order it on Amazon and, and and join a community where I get that trench level knowledge. I think the reason yeah. why people are reserved is number one, a scarcity mindset, is they think that they're giving up slices of their pie by aligning themselves with other people, and. The reason why that is like a big fallacy is like, dude, if you align yourself with a lot of people at the same time, you can have slices of all of their pies, right? And they can have slices of all of your pies and people win together, right? And And then number two, the slice of the pie is bigger than the original pie that you had baked. Yeah, absolutely, man. Your pie is only so big, but imagine having a hundred slices of a hundred people's different pies. That's just, that's exactly, you nailed it, Brian. And then number two is I think some people are just scared or intimidated to approach those kinds of people. Like, dude, what, like me, man. Hey, this guy has, I think he had at the time 30 or $40 million of assets, like 10, 12 projects going on at once, 50, 50 door personal portfolio without investors. Like for me, somebody just got out of the Navy. My only best skill at the time was that I could be a handyman to approach somebody like that and say, hey, what can I come do for you is intimidating. So number one, going back to joining a community that absolutely lowers the edge because those people are there. They already they already have the green light on their forehead saying, yes, I want to help. Yes, I want you to bring me value and I want and I want to help you. But number two is identifying that every single person in the world has something to learn from every single other person in the world. You may have something that you might not think about to get to bring value to somebody, right? In my case, I was like, bro, you've got a 50 rental portfolio that you are self-managing. You're paying, you're giving away thousands of dollars to handyman. I'll literally come fix your stuff for free. And I did. <laughs> I literally did, man. It could be something as simple as that. If you know how to make reels. Brian, if somebody came to you today 
And they said, hey, Brian, I made you these 10 reels for your Instagram. I think it's in line with your brand, your message. Would you just tell me what you, if you like them? If you like them, feel free to use them for free. If you don't like them, give me some feedback. Brian, you give them some feedback. Hey, man, I don't really like this, that. Okay, well, here's 10 more, man. And, and expect 10 from me every month for your Instagram page. It's no charge, man. I just really love what you got going on. You think you would give yeah. that person an hour of your time? I'll validate that. I just paid my guy that did that exact thing $2,000 today before this interview. So I pay him $2,000 a month. He clips up all the Action Academy reels and he puts them out. And he lived that exact way. He said he wasn't the same DM, which was, hey, can I do this for you? Can I do this for you? Can I help you with this? Can I help you with that? He said, hey, I did this. I think this was something that you need. I did it. How do you like this? Somebody just emailed me and said, hey, I see you're struggling to cross the podcast over 100,000 100, downloads per month. Here's how I would approach that. And they sent me like a whole spreadsheet. I was like, ooh, that's interesting. Now, it's, it's the thought, really. And it's, it, that's what I look for is that discretionary effort. And I love that. And I love that you said that. It's absolutely true. Yeah, absolutely, man. And I think that you have a similar story as well, where you had messaged someone to book them on an event, yeah. but instead, and I'm sure your listeners know the story, but the, the point that I'm trying to drive home is this is literally how you get started with nothing. I know there are people listening who think they have nothing. The chances is that chances are that you have something and you have something very special to somebody. Yeah. And so. I'd like to add a little bit to that also is that game never ends. So you and I were just together for Christmas. You and your girlfriend hosted a, a wonderful Christmas party and I was happy enough to be invited, man. So we had a good time and a good chat with our mutual friend, John Lalonde. And we're all in there. And it's, I just had a conversation with people that you guys introduced me to. And they've built a thousand person community with $10 million top line annual revenue. And so I'm paying them $10,000 to show me their systems and to show me, hey, here's where we really jacked this thing up. Here's where we rocked it. Here's what we're really good at. Here's your blind spots that you're missing. So the game never ends. It's just Gino uh, Barbero from Jake and Gino had a really good quote on this. He goes, pay to play or seek to serve. So in the beginning, you're seeking to serve because you don't have the capital. But as you progress and you, your time becomes more valuable, you can't really serve as much anymore. For me, I can't really be doing those emails where I'm saying, let me do this stuff for free. I just have to pony up. And you do the same. Now it's like us having to pay ten, twenty, hundred thousand dollars to join the rooms of people that are where we want to be. And, it, and there's no avoiding that. It's just the game. So it's once you understand and recognize the game for what it is and understand it's one that you're going to play for the rest of your life. I know guys at the $100 million level that are donating $50,000 to billionaires charities to get a dinner with them. But they are intentional about the question, the one question that they need answered for that dinner instead of just what would you rather have, $10 million at dinner with Jay-Z. <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. But I want to hit, let's circle back for a bit. I want to hit on why did you choose the hospitality industry as an asset class? Because I see the scalability in it. I like it. I want to dive a bit more into it. I see a lot of people doing Airbnbs. And for the life of me, I cannot figure out how to scale that or help people scale that. But hospitality seems to me at surface level to be the answer to the scalability for people that are enjoying the hospitality aspect of short-term rentals. 
Sure. Yeah, that's a great question, Brian. And the, in, in why hospitality, right? And it, it really boils down to this common theme that I have is going for things that have a higher barrier to entry, right? By trade, I'm an infill, I'm an infill developer, right? And that's a very high barrier of entry niche. Same thing with hospitality. To get into hotels, right? You need to have a ton of experience, not only for lenders, but also for the flags, the Hiltons, the Marriott's, the Baymont's, the, even the Super 8. Imagine that you have to have an experience requirements for these franchises. Number one, so the high barrier of entry reduces competition. And it also has created this community of people who really know what they're doing. It's like a community of excellence. It's a community of strong trench level experts. Number two is in hotels, you have minute by minute pricing. So you're able to pivot and move with the market. Like the market is an ocean and you can navigate your ship away from storms into currents, saving fuel this way, saving fuel that way, like that. So I can literally, if there's going to be an event in Labor Day weekend or something, I can jack up my rate. Whereas in multifamily, you can only renew leases and increase rents once per year. Mm -hmm. So those are the two big strengths of hospitality. And the, the third one, which is the bigger one, is that hotels are on sale. Think 2012 style sale for hit, for single family homes. What happened in 2020 was caused a premature bottom in the hotel market. So we were able to go scoop them up for 60, 70 cents on the dollar. And what we saw with the CPI trend is actually CPI for hospitality came back from COVID above pre-COVID levels. So we're buying them at apocalyptic prices, right? 50, 60, 70 cents on the dollar. We're holding them. We're bringing them back to life. And within the span of 12 to 24 months, we're already back above pre-COVID levels. So a market event that made hotels an advantageous niche was why hospitality. And I see a general trend as well. And I think everybody that's listening to this as a consumer with Airbnb, them and Uber had a very specific market model, which we're all seeing kind of the, the lag effect of, which is let's disrupt industry, super cheap, super affordable, undercut prices, um, establish need, establish dominance. Now let's jack up the prices. And now people are looking at short-term rentals. And I do half and half. When I travel, I stay half in hotels half in short-term rentals. Here in, in Colombia, half of my stays have been in, in hotels. And then the other half have been through short-term rentals because of pricing. And so now is, that's another trend I see people even on TikTok talking about is, hey, why would I even book an Airbnb anymore? I'd rather just go back to the hotels. So it's a macro trend in the next three to five years as well because of rising prices. Have you seen that as well? Yeah, absolutely, man. You nailed it. And surely B does have a strong demand, right? Even people mm -hmm. like us, like I stay in Airbnbs when I travel. And that's one part of the hospitality market. People need wanting experiences, wanting to have a home style stay while they're traveling. Same thing, corporate workers wanting a home style stay while they're traveling. And then the, on the other side in hotels is we get a lot of the, there's a chicken farm in town and they need to book 50 rooms for traveling workers for three months. Mm. Or there, we have a deal with a trucking company on I-95 that all their truckers stay at our hotels. And we're able to have that advantage over the Airbnb owners because of economies of scale, right? We could take sure. 50, 60, 100 of your folks at one time. Whereas the, hotel, whereas the Airbnb people have an advantage over hotels where they're able to provide an experience to the consumer in, in, in a way. 
But yeah, absolutely. There, there is that trend going on in the hospitality industry of people kind of one, splitting their time and then two, also seeking the experience. So definitely, I, I do see that trend. I read a book called Unreasonable Hospitality by Will Guidera, which is an amazing book. And I'm desperately trying to have him on the podcast. And he ran one of the, the most popular restaurants in the world, 11 Madison Park. And as he was writing the book and everything, it really intrigued me about hospitality. And now we have some mutual friends and I see some people that are going out and buying these boutique hotels out in the islands and creating this wonderful experience for people. And it's intriguing me almost as a possible asset class that I would like to get into. And so as I'm seeing this as a person that would be maybe interested in entering that market in the next maybe year or two, probably call it two years before I stabilize and start diversifying again. It sounds like I would need to hitch my wagon to somebody that's in the space to partner with. And then I could maybe be the capital side of it, but I really need to hitch my wagon to an operator to be able to pull something like that off. Correct. From what yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, man. It's really hard to go get loans on hotels when you don't have the experience. And also, it is not an easy asset to manage. You to know, Because um, not only is it a real estate, it's also a business. So you have employees, you have payroll, you have housekeeping, you have front desk, you have brand requirements. You're going to have a property improvement plan when you take over an underperforming hotel. Um, you need a revenue management strategy. There's software tools that you need to know about. So yeah. Yes, absolutely. Not, not saying that no one can do it. Anyone can do it. But the but the easiest way to do it, you nailed it, Brian, is to hit your wagon to someone who has done it. So I'm so curious. And this is just a personal question, which makes for a good podcast. I'm just asking more personal questions now, which is super fun for me. Why do it? I see. So look, I, I have a bit of industry experience here because I sold to hospitality before in my previous role. So when it comes to brand standards and everything, like I was the one that would be selling housekeeping uniforms and chef uniforms, especially to flagship hotels. So I can talk the talk that you're talking a little bit. So as I understand flag standards and brand standards and going into a kitchen in a hotel and being able to sell the entire chain, a certain brand of chef works that was vented and with their brand standards. I see, especially with housekeeping, it seems like a nightmare from hell to manage hotels, yet almost every single uber successful person that you see is in hospitality. They love buying these restaurants. They love buying these hotels. And I don't get it when I'm looking at multifamily and I'm looking at stuff like this. And I'm even looking at a big old flat triple net lease industrial warehouse that an Amazon or someone books out. Why hospitality? Because I've seen the housekeepers. I used to do their uniforms. They're leaving like crazy. And it's hard to, it's a hard staff to hire and manage. Yeah, no, you're not, you are not wrong. There's nothing easy about it, right? But the reason for why hospitality, let me give you, let me start with a little bit of my background. So I have two businesses, right? One of them is a hospitality, is a private equity company that owns hotels. Number two is an infill development company. They're on broad ends of the spectrum because in my infill development company, I'm building homes for the median price point or lower class C areas. So, and then in the hospitality areas, I'm not, they're not like luxurious hotels, but they're not like the crack hotels either. Sure. And, and it's two completely different theories, right? My, my infill development theory is that no matter what, I will always, housing is a necessity and that 
I will always have a tenant because I'm at the median price point or lower for rent. And my, my, the homes that I'm building are for the single E5 with BAH or the blue collar family. Across the spectrum on the hotel area, it's, wait, lodging is not a necessity. COVID showed us that it's not a necessity. This is vulnerable to my market cycles. But if we find the synergy in the two philosophies is that we find a hospitality asset that is in some ways a necessity because in the in its market, it has a large market share and it's it has different revenue centers like truck drivers, like tourists, tr- corporate workers, etc. So the reason why hospitality is because of one simple thing is because the bigger the problem that you solve, the bigger pain in the asses that you deal with, the larger the reward. And while there are pain in, pains in the ass in the beginning, you can create solutions and efficient process management systems to reduce the pain, to automate the pain, to where you don't even – you forgot that even exists that we have housekeeping churn. We do have housekeeping churn. Right now, payroll – sorry, employment across the board is a nightmare. We have huge churn in our housekeeping. So what do we do? We pivot. We start introducing things like where we pay people by the room instead of by the hour. We incentivize people cleaning rooms faster by um, paying them a certain way. But why deal with it, Brian, is because it pays, man. If you look at any single hotel cap rates, right? Real estate is measured in cap rates. Hotels are a little bit different. They're usually measured by gross revenue multiplier. But if you take a cap rate on a hotel, it's nuts. The cap rates are insane, right? Because you do have to deal with those things. But when you align yourself with the trench level expert who has systems and processes to reduce those pains, it's not that bad. So that's why hotels. There, There's two things that I want to bring out of that. But I also want to, I've got another question first. I may table them. I'll actually table this question. My, my ancillary question right now first is flagship or boutique? Like what one is more advantageous? Is it better to buy these boutique hotels that are like off in the islands or do a little boutique hotel that doesn't have a flag? And then you create your own brand standard for the property? Or is it better and more advantageous to hit your wagon to a flag? Like a Hilton, when we say flag, it's like Hilton, Ramada, Marriott, like all these different companies. It depends. So for example, it's two, it's just two different products. One of them is more of a tourism product where the other one is could be a corporate truck driver, like all those things that I'm talking about product. Sure. So here's when it's advantageous to have a flag. It's advantageous to have a flag when, for example, when you have the flag, you get number one, the name, right? People are going to be even less, even a super eight, man, because a super eight has a quote unquote following. It could be the road tripping families. It could be the truck drivers that they always stay at super eights. You get their marketing package. You get their revenue control strategy. You get all kinds of things from being part of the flag, but you pay a price for that. You pay a monthly franchise fee. So if you're a tourism product and things like booking.com, Airbnb have now eliminated the need for a flag in a tourism product, you don't need to be paying that franchise fee. And maybe if you're at a smaller scale, you can't afford that franchise fee. So I would say the decision comes, can I pay 
it's basically any, like any investment decision. Is investing this monthly franchise fee going to give me an exponential return? Yes or no? No? Okay, I'm going to stay with independent. Yes? Okay, I'm going to go with the flag. Now, we actually did an independent hotel. That's It was a 100-room hotel in a Husky, rural North Carolina. No flag. But after executing a property improvement plan, we're going to the brands and we're saying, hey, how much would you give us? And we're getting some brands coming back and telling us like, hey, we'll give you $300,000, $400,000 rebate because you already did a property improvement plan that meets our standards to make your hotel a, a Clarion Point or a Baymont by Wyndham. So you take a look at all those ad- advantages and costs and you just do a cost benefit study and you make your decision that way. Awesome. That was super helpful. Thank you. So the other two questions I had are halfway observations and we can create questions out of them. But it seems after all of these interviews over and over again, the two kind of key points that keep coming up that seem to be the outlier points for success are what you just said, alignment of outcome with compensation. So you're aligning your outcome with your income. When you're talking about your housekeepers, paying them by the room, paying for speed. So what does that incentivize? What the desired outcome is for you as the business owner? Fast rooms, cleaned efficiently. Done. Move on to the next one. You align your compensation package with that incentive. My friend Logan Rankin does that with his apartments, with his maintenance staff. They're aligned to get the ticket done within two hours. So that's directly in their compensation and their bonus structure is... How fast are you getting over to that property to fix the thing? So he's got only three KPIs for each one of his team members. So that's one thing that I see. That's a recurring theme that you just brought up. Another one to go back to what we started with is building the systems almost, I don't want to say prematurely, but proactively. So building the system for the thing that you're not at yet will avoid the breaking of the system as you progress. Because like you said, you don't have the systems. You had zero systems. And then all of a sudden, you've got this new <laughs> thing, that devil that you have to deal with, and you didn't have the systems for it. So what's some advice that you can give to people that are you know, at a certain level, and they're trying to up level, they want to make this big jump, and they're like, okay, cool. I need to get my systems ready for that, comma, but how? Does that make so, sense? Yeah, no, it does make sense, Brian. So I'm going to sound like such a broken record. Get into I already a community. Know you know, I already know get, into, get into a community or align yourself with someone who is at the level that you that, that you want to operate at. That's number one. However, number two is um, don't be so caught up in I need these systems to grow. Absolutely no. You need to grow first to create systems. Mm-hmm. It goes back to the most like fundamental thing on the internet is like how to start an LLC. I'm gonna go start me an LLC like. The LLC is not the business. The, the LLC is not, is not the business. Don't get caught up too much of I need to build these systems and processes or I need systems and processes. Let the problem present itself. But in the beginning, beginning indications of that problem, get aggressive about building the system because as the problem builds, builds, the system is going to get more and more costly of time and money to build. So number one, align yourself with the people who already have the systems. Number two, Wait for the problem to start showing itself and then start building the system. But don't get too hung up on having it. What people don't really talk about is it's super annoying to do this. It's not a fun process because you have to say no to a lot of things. Like right now, 
we're doing this exact th- same thing. And I knew you were going to answer that. I'm just going to keep asking the question to see if anybody answers you differently. And so far, nobody has. So that's the answer to the question is, hey, I want to build a system for a thousand doors. Cool. Go find the person that has built a thousand door portfolio. Ask them what their systems are. <laughs> like That is how you do it. Either seek to serve or pay to play. I have to say no to a lot of things because I'm doing that exact same framework with, okay, what's the group look like at a thousand members? Do I want it at a thousand members this year? No, but I want to build the systems to support a thousand members. So I have to say no to certain partnerships where and certain ideas because I'm looking at that. I'm like, ooh, no, this breaks at another hundred members. This breaks here. It's the same process with units, it's the same process with headcounts, the same process with business. It's the same thing. So it's an interesting conundrum, but it seems to be the, like the single tactic that you guys, that every successful entrepreneur does is they're always thinking 10 steps ahead. Jeff Bezos lives five, 10 years in the future, and that's what he's building for. And then he brings it back to present. What am I not asking you that I should right now? What are you not asking me that you should? That's a really good one, man. Um, we went over hotels. We went over capital raising. I think that I think we covered I think we covered it all man just about one thing one thing that I will say is and it's going to be a broken record is just you know read ego is the enemy and align yourself with somebody that need that needs help man or that has the results that you want eliminate your ego and just align yourself with if you want to build a community like action academy read ego is the enemy observe Brian's social media figure out what he needs and solve it and present it to him without any mm-hmm. ego without expecting anything in return that's just my philosophy, man. 100%. I love that. What, so what's next? What's the next three years? I'm actually, so hotels are getting a little bit more expensive. We're going to position hours to sell because they are getting to that point where we're going to get good returns where we sell. I'm going all in on infill development. So that's new construction multifamily. And number two is I'm really looking to give back. I don't, full disclosure, I don't have any course. I don't have any community. I'm not necessarily to looking to sell a product right now that may change in the future. I also do want to give back as much as I can to people who are down the ladder on their real estate journey, their financial freedom journey, because this has changed my life in ways that I can't even imagine, man. Like I live in Medellin, Colombia. I went off to Europe for a month. I'm traveling all the time. I never say no to travel. I never say no to buying anything that I want. There's nothing in life that I want that I can't have. And I'm just so blessed. And I want that for anyone else who wants it. The two big things for over the next three years is going to be scaling the infill development business and giving back as much as I can. I'll be your huckleberry, man. I can help you with that. We got all the systems for that, brother. (laughs) Action Academy, my boy is coming in. Nah, that's an admirable goal, man. I love what you got going on. I love your business. Love being your friend. So where can people find out more about you, what you do? Where can they follow you? Yeah, so Instagram at Housebender, like Avatar The Last Airbender, but Housebender. Um, And and I'll, I'll I'll give you this for your community, Brian. If you guys DM me the word action... I will send you the form for my free 30-minute one-on-one. I'm only looking to do 100 next year, but throw throw your name into the hat. I don't have anything to sell. If I feel like you need a community, I'll tee you off to Brian to Action Academy because I've heard a lot of great things from a few of the members. That's a good way to get in touch with me is Instagram, Housebender. Rock and roll, man. All right, brother. Thank you for coming on. And with that, this has been Adit and Brian with the 
Action Academy Podcast, signing off. Hey, real quick. If you're still listening to today's episode, I'm assuming you got value from it. So I need your help specifically. My two-year vision with this show is to help over 1 million people do what they want, when they want, with who they want. And I can only do that with your help. There are two main ways that a podcast grows. One is through ratings and reviews, and the other is word of mouth. If you could please leave me a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, as well as send this to one or two friends that you think would get value from it, we can reach the people that we're looking to reach. Thanks in advance. Talk tomorrow.